Well, good morning. It is good to see everybody here. I noticed this week the, the crowd's moving further off in that direction. I think there's even some people, yeah, way around there. I was thinking two weeks ago we were all thankful for God that we could all come out and get together and have our freedoms. Last couple of weeks we've been very thankful for God for what we often take for granted, our civil, our peace and, and, and our sanity. Um, right now I'm very thankful to God for air conditioning. Um, we've got to find a way to get it out here. Uh, but it's good to have everybody here. Things are sort of coming back online. We're still trying to be very careful uh, um, with our, our social distancing. For those uh, that have, um, are sort of part of the smaller group, starting to meet in gatherings around the church, um, you know, we, we do, very, do our best to wipe everything down before and afterwards. And I uh, want to encourage you, just make sure you're talking to the office, setting things up so we kind of let our custodial service know what's going on. Um, and all these things seem to be going very, very well. So, but it is good to be outside. It's a place we can sing, we can worship together. And um, a, a lot of people often talk about, well, I go off and worship God out in nature or something like that. Well, I don't know what that means. Uh, but this is kind of like that, and, and, and it's good to have everybody here. Uh, Tyson? Thank the Lord. Uh, it's an interesting time to be, uh, to be leading the church. And I, I know throughout the history of the church, uh, there have been other times in the past where they faced plagues and pandemics. This isn't the first time. You can look back and, and read through the writings of, of Luther, and, and there were plagues of that time. And, uh, and it, what's interesting is week in and week out, it seems that a lot of times the leadership is faced with a series of choices between bad decisions. We can either go inside, meet in these really small groups, and not sing, uh, which feels to me to be just not being the church gathered and not doing what we're supposed to be gathered to do. And so that seems to be one bad decision. And then the other bad decision we get to choose from is being out here where it's hot. And so uh, I don't know what we're going to do next week. I know this week uh, we're going to be together and we're going to sweat and sing. Uh, so so I'm, I, that seemed like the better of two options. And, and so I know it's not going to please everyone, uh, but, but you can always park in your car and turn on your air conditioning or whatever. Hey, guys out there. And you can always be at home uh, joining us uh, from home. And so uh, wherever you are, uh, you're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed 
And I want to I want to start worship today uh, by asking us all to do what we always do, and that is to confess our faith together using the Apostles' Creed. And so, if you're able, I want to invite you now to stand. And I want to ask you that that question, uh, Christian. What do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I want you all to know that I did that without any monitor or notes. I'm proud of all of us. I'm proud of all of us. Uh, Please, uh, I want to invite you now to be seated. I want to invite the band to come forward, and we're going to have a time of worship. Good morning. It's fantastic to see you all this morning in, in June outside. This is a new song that we'll be doing called Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. If you would, just um, join in as we sing this song. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. Is our only confidence that our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand, what comes apart at His command, and what will keep us to the end, the love of Christ on which we stand.
to the grave, what will we see? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him, there we will rise to ourselves for prayers we hear the scriptures from the apostle peter he said blessed be the god and the father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by god's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found result in the praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you through your ordained way, the atonement for sins by a merciful advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. We are not to fear because he has overcome the world and because he is with us to the end of the age and because he upholds all things by the word of his power and because all things work together for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And we are not to fear because he, we belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Lord, give us eyes to see that our many and varied trials are your divine means by which our faith grows and is tested, and that it is this faith that is more precious than gold. Give us the depth of perspective that values the treasure that is stored in heaven where neither moth nor rust can harm. Father, we confess our sins, our transgressions in word, thought, and deed. Forgive us being hard-hearted. 
proud in our unteachableness, loving our safe idols, stubborn in our harsh judgment of others, insipid in our Christian living. And all of this, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Father, forgive us and change us. For us, there is one God from whom all are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, to whom are all things and through whom we exist. Father, we ask that you bless our giving for the work of your gospel. Encourage us to see that this as a faithful act of rejoicing. Indeed, you do love a cheerful giver. All these things we ask in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This next song is Come Thou Fount with a little bit, it's going to be a little bit different, so don't let us throw you off too bad. Um, if you would, just please join us with us as we sing this old hymn, Come Thou Fount. Yeah. 
to be. Let thy grace now like a shackle bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Is my heart take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Come now, fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melody of sonnet. Sung by flaming tongues above. Lord, let this microphone work. Interesting days, friends. Interesting days. Uh, just trying not to be anxious here. Uh, there's a lot going on. I, I think that the, uh, I think the IT committee really hates me, and I think it's because I keep moving us outdoors and presenting them with new and better challenges. I, I say, okay, listen, this week we're going to be outside. And you're going to have to stream to all the cars, and you're going to have to stream to the Internet. At the same time, you're going to have to make whole new sound equipment work. And uh, we're, we're trying to make it happen, and God is good. And uh, let's just hope it doesn't get in the way of what we came for. And, and let me just remind everybody what we came for. We came to gather around the Word of God. We came to be the people of God in, in, who are the church, uh, who don't need a building, but have come uh, to proclaim the Lord's goodness and His works and to read Scripture. And so we're going to do that today. Uh, today we're actually starting a new sermon series. We've we've been talking about the signs of, of God out of the book of signs and the book of John. And today we're starting a new sermon series. We're going to work our way through a study of the Ten Commandments. Uh, now I think it's odd that people don't they don't preach or teach much about the Ten Commandments these days. If if you were to go to a modern church, you're more likely to find a a sermon series something like five useful tips for a thriving marriage or something practical about parenthood, but it's rare these days to find a church that's preaching uh, 10 weeks on the Ten Commandments. I even told Kami, I was like, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach on the Ten Commandments. She's like, how many weeks is that going to take? And I was like, 10. And she's like, do you think you should do two a week? That's a really long sermon series. And, and, and I was like, people will hang in there probably. We're, we're going to see, though. Um, I think possibly the reason that people don't want to give uh, the Ten Commandments 10 weeks uh, is due to some confusion about whether or not the Old Testament 
and specifically the Ten Commandments, are relevant to followers of Christ. Let me say that again. So what do we think about the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament? Are they, do they continue to be relevant to the followers of Christ? And, and I think it's an argument between law and grace. And so for simplicity's sake, we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments for a long time. We're going to be using the word the law a lot, right? So, so for simplicity's sake, when we say the law, we really mean the Ten Commandments, okay? Uh, in Jewish tradition, there were 613 laws in the Pentateuch, uh, 613 laws in the first five books of the Bible. And as we understand it, the, we, one of our catechisms that we use to, to train up children is called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And one of the things it teaches is that the moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. So when we talk about the law, we can, we can easily just kind of uh, say the Ten Commandments there, right? Have you uh, ever been in a conversation with somebody and, uh, and the conversation turns to issues of faith? You start talking about maybe your faith, you're with a group of friends, and someone mentions something from the Bible, and someone else in your group says, yeah, but that's from the Old Testament, and, and y'all begin to have this conversation because everyone in the group's not really sure if the Old Testament is continually relevant for believers today. They're not sure what Jesus' blood did to the law. They're not sure like how that's relevant to their lives anymore. Um, and, I, and I think that there's a lot of confusion about that in today's world. Uh, y'all heard of Pastor Andy Stanley. He, he, uh, he's a very popular uh, pastor today, son of a, of a popular pastor. He, he wrote a book called irresistible, reclaiming the new that Jesus unleashed for the world. And uh, in this book, Andy Stanley, this is what he says about the Ten Commandments. It's very interesting. He says, the, the Ten Commandments have no authority over you, none. To be clear, thou shall not obey the Ten Commandments. That's what Andy Stanley wrote in his book, Irresistible. And I think that's an interesting take for sure to suggest that Christians uh, have no need to obey the Ten Commandments. Let me be really clear. I don't agree with Andy Stanley on that issue with the Ten Commandments. Uh, Stanley went on to write that Christians should unhitch themselves from the Old Testament and lean only on Jesus' command to love others. Okay, so th- that's the move. It's, it's away from the, the, the Ten Commandments towards Jesus' commandment to love others. Um, if you remember, Jesus gave his followers a new commandment, and that happened in John 13. And basically the argument that he's having here, Andy Stanley, is that Jesus was replacing the Ten Commandments. Uh, John 13 says this. It was with Jesus speaking. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And, and actually, Andy Stanley's argument, it's not a new one. Lots of modern theologians have argued that we should abandon the Ten Commandments and hold only to the standard of love thy neighbor. One reason that this might be so appealing to people, like that you might like that so much, is that it allows for us to be the ones who decide and define what it means to love thy neighbor, right? Uh, you, you've taken all of God's standards and you just said, you replace it with the new standard, love thy neighbor, and we get to decide what that means, uh, and let me break that down for a second. If you were to read where Jesus says, love thy neighbor, and you, and you think to yourself, I, I know what it means to love my neighbor. Uh, I'll follow the standards that society has, has laid out for me. So I, I'm not going to use any trigger words. 
I'm going to be open-minded. I'm going to give plenty of safe space for everybody. I'm going to accept everyone for who they are. I'm going to accept all of their views and, and, and their decisions, and, and I'm going to love them in ways that, that I define and I decide. Um, it doesn't take much of a – Kyle Nally came in he, to see what – you know, test my mic earlier. That's why they're working so well. Uh, but he came in earlier to test mics. So we, were, we, were, we were testing mics, and he was, like, trying to see what I was doing as I was getting ready, and I had Wikipedia open. He goes, ah, oh, see how you play in your sermons. This makes perfect sense. And one of the things that I was looking up on Wikipedia was if you go to Wikipedia and, and you kind of look up um, replacements for the Ten Commandments, you're going to find a list on there of about eight different modern substitutes that either atheists, uh, George Carl or George Carlin has one. I mean, there's all these people that have that have written out these new standards for the Ten Commandments, and they're all attempting to love other people. Uh, if you reduce the commandments of God to simply love thy neighbor, and at the same time you deny the Ten Commandments, you've just exchanged the convictions of God for the convictions of culture. You may be trying to, uh, to love your neighbor, uh, but you're just using your definition of the word love. That's my criticism for anyone who thinks that we need to replace the Ten Commandments with, with just love your neighbor. I want to say this. Jesus was not replacing the Ten Commandments. He certainly wasn't abolishing them because look at what Jesus says in Matthew five seventeen. He says very clearly, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Remember what we said the law was, the Ten Commandments, the summary of the law, right? He says, I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. Jesus, in the way that he lived perfectly, fulfilled the law and he fulfilled the prophets. And once again, when we say law, we're talking about the Ten Commandments. What made Jesus the unblemished Lamb of God is that he knew the law and he kept the law perfectly. That's what we understand about about what makes Jesus the unblemished Lamb of God. And we look at Jesus from the outside, and even non-believers, they look at Jesus and go, we really like Jesus. He was such a loving guy. And the reason that Jesus loved people well wasn't because he abolished the law and instead had a new commandment just to love people. The reason Jesus loved people so well is because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law in his life. Like, Like the Ten Commandments are all about how to love God well, and how to love other people well. The reason Jesus was so great at loving is because Jesus was so great at the law. So when we read Jesus saying, love thy neighbor, what we need to be thinking is, is, is I know how to do that. The word of God's revealed how to love thy neighbor to me. I'm going to honor my mother and father. I'm not going to murder. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to steal or bear false witness. I'm not going to covet what others have. Are you getting the logic here? of why it's still relevant for us. The Ten Commandments show us how to love well. One of the great attributes of God, we talk about his characteristics, and we try to describe God to people. One of the great attributes of God is his immutability. Now, I think when I first started studying theology, I thought that meant he couldn't be quieted because his immutability, right? It's not. What it means is that God never changes. Right, the immutability of God means that he was the same yesterday, today, and forever, that God will never change. And God didn't change his mind on what love looks like, and he will not ever. When Jesus tells us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, Jesus is saying, keep the law of God. Follow the Ten Commandments, because they show you how to love God. They show you how to love 
your neighbor. Uh, there are, I, I think I've taught before about the uses of the law for the believer, right? Like what, how do we use the law in our lives? I think one time I brought out a, a, a set of, of handcuffs, a, a, a tambourine, uh, I brought out a bunch of stuff that had all these images for or the three historic uses of the law. So I'm not going to get into that today, uh, but I'm just going to say that the Ten Commandments show us how to love God and others well. Uh, so let's, let's read together the Ten Commandments this morning. We're going to be reading from Exodus 20, 1 through 17. And if, if, if your legs can handle it and if, if you're feeling good, I want to invite you to stand as we read the Word of God together. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it brings uh, clarity in our life, the way it brings direction, how you would lead us and and command us to go. As we come to it, God, we humbly submit our lives to it. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all the church said, amen. So we're going to be reading together from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17 today. Hear now the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your works, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever and this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. The rest of the time that we have together, I want to spend exploring the first commandment this morning. What is the first commandment? The first commandment is this. It begins in verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. It's, in, it's important to consider the context here. Who is God speaking to? What has just happened? Uh, God is speaking to the Israelites who have just escaped slavery in Egypt. And not because they're lucky 
they, they didn't escape slavery because they're lucky. They didn't escape slavery because they're powerful. But God has actually intervened on their behalf. And, and you know the story. In order to get Pharaoh to let his people go, God brings ten plagues down upon the Egyptian people. And when, when Pharaoh finally does let the people go, remember, he's kind of a trick, and, and he's going after them to attack them, and God parts the Red Sea. He allows the Israelites to cross it, but then dumps the entire Red Sea on the Egyptian army. So God is giving these laws on the, on the heels of the miraculous rescue of the Israelites. And, and he clarifies this with verse 2. This is what he says. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is, this is where you've been. This is why I have the authority to speak these things to you. And it seems that the first rule, the very first rule that God gives to his people as they begin this new community together is that he does not share his glory with any other gods. That is the first rule. He doesn't share his glory with any other gods. Now, uh, one of the first things we teach our kids when they're growing up is, is, is we teach them how to share with others. Uh, you know we do this. We teach them how to share toys. We teach them how to share food. We teach them how to share their video games. But as we get older, there are some things that we don't necessarily share. And it's not necessarily out of, out of selfishness. For instance, if, if you and I were to go on a trip together, and, uh, and, and it's somewhere on this trip you were to discover that you didn't pack your toothbrush, like, we're not sharing. I, I don't care. Like, and I'm okay with that. Like, I think the Lord's okay with that. Um, I don't think it's wise to share a unicycle. That's not what they're built for. It's dangerous. Um, bite-sized candy bars. Not meant to be shared. The answers to your test, not meant to be shared. And there's even more serious issues like the love between a husband and a wife, not meant to be shared. God does not share his glory with other gods, period. You got to understand that. And I was trying to wrap my head around this and I'm just going to take you on a weird journey of the imagination. Imagine if you created something. Now, it could be anything. Uh, say you're an artist, you created a painting or a, or a poem, or maybe you wrote a, a book or a movie script. You created it out of thin air. It was, it was all a work of your imagination and your mind. You wrote into it all the plot twists and all the unique characters. Let's say it was your life's work. And the day came for you to pitch your book to a publisher. You're going to get to, you're going to, get to talk about your work. And, and as you were sitting down to review your work, a stranger comes and sits down beside you, and he claims to be the co-creator of your work. And you've never seen that person in your life. And they start thing, saying things like, uh, well, when, when Tyson and I were creating this story, we thought it would be important for our characters to undergo full story arcs. And, and you're thinking to yourself, this guy is a liar. He's a liar. You know why I know this guy's a liar? Because I wrote this story myself. Do you know why God doesn't want to share his glory with other gods? It's not out of some selfishness. It's because God created everything by his word. Every hill, every flower, every sunset, every pond, every stream. And he loves his creation and he's proud of his creation. 
And now there's people who are lying about who's responsible for all of it. It's like someone's coming in to sweep up the credit. The reason that God can be angry is because he knows it's his work. And the Israelites, they've been in the belly of the beast in Egypt. That's where they've been. And the Egyptians, um, they don't know the God of the Israelites. And and they've given all the credit for his work to all kinds of other false gods. It's a very polytheistic culture. They have gods of, of light. They have gods of darkness. They have gods of sun and storm. They have a goddess of war and a And they've never seen these gods with their eyes, so they've made these little statues so that they would have something to look at as they worship these false gods. And the Israelites, unfortunately, had grown up. They'd lived their entire lives in the midst of Egyptian culture. For the Israelites that are are receiving the Ten Commandments, part of their society was worshiping these false gods. They would, they would plant a seed in the ground. They would cover the seed up, and the way that they would make it grow is that they would say a little prayer to the God of fertility because they thought that's how farming worked. The true God of heaven and earth would watch people do this, and he would say, that God is a fake, that God is a liar. And do you know how I know that that God is a fake and a liar? It's because I make the seeds grow. I make the sun rise, I make the waters move, and on and on and on. And I don't know about most of you, but I didn't grow up in a, in a culture where uh, I, I worshipped any little statues. We didn't have those in my house. We, we didn't have false idols. I didn't grow up trusting in the sun god or a fertility god or a goddess of love. That, that wasn't the culture that I was personally raised in. But just because we didn't grow up worshipping some small statue, that doesn't mean that we don't struggle with idolatry. Here's what I mean. There are things in our lives to which we give God's credit and his responsibility. And ultimately, we give those things his glory. And we make things into false gods when we do this. Now, this isn't the language of our culture, but it is the language of the Bible, okay? To to think that things that that compete with God for his glory are false idols. I want to tell you that I think there are two tests that that we can do in our lives to discover if we have false idols. The first test is called the love test. You ready for this? Uh, Here it is. It's really complicated. What do you love? That's it. In the third century, a theologian named Origen observed that the first commandment was about what we loved. Here's what Origen wrote. This, This is his quote. What each one honors before all else, what before all things he admires and loves, this for him is God. It kind of makes sense. We're called to love the Lord with all of our hearts and with all of our minds, but if instead we give our love to something or someone else, that thing becomes for us our idol. So so I guess the question for us today and trying to be really reflective on the commandments of God is what do you love? Or to ask in another way, what do you desire? What do you daydream about? How do you spend your money? Sometimes the idols that we have in our lives, they're not not bad things. They're not necessarily bad things. Sometimes we make idols out of really, really good things when we let good things become our ultimate things. Sometimes we make idols out of our hobbies or our interests. Sometimes we make idols out of our relationships. 
And I don't want to discourage any of you from enjoying life, but be cautious about things that compete with God, especially when it comes to the lordship of your life. Uh, It's possible to love the lake so much that you can't seem to worship Jesus on Sundays anymore because you can't come off the lake. Does that make sense? And in that situation, it may just be that the lake for you or the boat or that experience has become for you an idol. When you love someone so much that you constantly seek their approval, you ever done that? You you love someone so much that you just want their approval, you've probably let that person become an idol for you. Seek the approval of God, not the approval of man. What you love is what you ultimately worship. And that's, that's what we call the love test, okay? The second test to see where the idols in your life are is called the trust test. And here's how the trust tests work. Where do you turn in times of trouble? Right? Where do you turn in times of trouble? Some people turn to their addictions. Some people put their trust in jobs or insurance policies, or 401ks, where do you place your trust to carry you through tough times of trouble? Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is properly your God. And right now, with, with, with COVID season, with racial tensions being what they are with protests and all kinds of division in our country, it's, it's really interesting what I'm seeing people place their trust in. Think about that for a second. In our current season, where are people turning to understand how to feel and what to think and to find comfort? Because I don't really think it's the Lord. I think people are turning to Twitter and to Facebook, and CNN, and to Fox News. I think people are turning to the two-party system. And I think they're gathering together with people who think like them. And I think they're reinforcing the party line of whatever group they support. And they're putting their trust in that. Tell me I'm wrong. For so many Americans, I believe that our politics have become our idols. Our politics are telling us how we should see the Word of God as opposed to the Word of God telling us how we should think about issues of the world. Thomas Watson says this, to trust in anything more than God is to make that a God. What things are you trusting more than the Lord? This is called the trust test. So you have these two tools, the love test and the trust test. And they're supposed to help us understand uh, what we've elevated to the level of false idols in our lives. But, But I'm here to tell you that most people don't have the courage to honestly address their idols. You understand that most people don't have the courage to do this. Do you know why? Because the way you address your idols is to put down the very things that you love and you trust. Does that make sense? No one wants to do that. No one wants to put to death the things they love and they trust. Maybe I even mentioned something today that made you mad. The reason it made you mad is because I threatened the things that you love and you trust. Friends, let me remind you of one thing today. 
God is, is a jealous God who does not share his glory with anyone or anything or any group. God will not share his claims to divinity with Buddha or with Muhammad or with any other religion. Do you know why? Because God alone is creator. and Christ alone is redeemer. And when someone else claims to have been part of that, God knows it's a lie. It's someone else trying to steal his glory. That's why we reject any pluralistic approach to religion. The first thing that our God teaches us after he delivers the, the slaves from Egypt is to have no other God before them. Now listen, not all idolatry is found in religion. You understand this? Some idolatry is found right in the heart of our Christian community. And, and we don't even really know we're doing it when we're doing it. Unless we're willing to ask two questions. You remember the two questions, don't you? What do you love? What do you trust? And you have to have the, the courage to be honest with yourself. Because some of us are just going to start off by saying, nothing, I don't love anything more than I love God. And I don't trust anything more than I trust God. God is my all in all. That's, that's, you know, that's kind of our, our gut reactions to say that and not even do the exercise. But if we're really honest, there's some of us who've made our spouses into idols. And there's some of us who've made our hobbies into idols. And there's some of us who've made our politics into idols. And God would say to you, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of your bondage to sin, brought you out of your slavery to Satan, you shall have no other gods before me. Church, this is the first commandment. I encourage you to have nothing in your life that takes the place of the triune God. Let's take a moment, let's be still, let's be quiet, and, and listen, in, in your prayers, maybe ask those two questions. God, is there anything that I love in a way that I should love only you? Are there things I'm turning to to trust where I should trust you and your word? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the sunshine. That's all you. We thank you for the grass that grows under our feet. That's all you. And the cool breeze, Lord, you're generous to us. We thank you for uh, Christ Jesus, our, our Redeemer. It's by his blood that we are saved. It's by his blood that we stand so boldly before your throne today as, as a church gathered to pray and hear your word and be reminded of, of the law of God. And God, as we come to this law, we're, we're reminded of the fact that we are lawbreakers. We don't find our righteousness through obedience to this law, God. As lawbreakers, we find our righteousness in the blood of Jesus. Your law pushes us back uh, to have to address our failure and need grace more and more. God, I thank you for your law because um, even when I was a wild child, at least I knew what you didn't want me to do. It, it, it in a way, uh, guided my actions in my immaturity. And God, now as, as the church, as we read your law, it reminds us how to really worship with our lives, that we're able to... Um, find ways to love you better by being obedient to the Ten Commandments. God, that's a way that we can worship you in our lives. And so, God, in, in the silence of this room, just for a second, all of us are going to do this, this work. 
God, is there anything that we love in such a way that it threatens your lordship in our life? And God, is there anything in our lives that in the middle of of turmoil, confusion, crisis, that we would turn to above and before you? Is there anything we trust more than we would trust you? God, if there is, may we put those things to death and rely upon you. Where we haven't, we repent. Holy Spirit, be merciful and bring conviction. We pray this in Jesus' name and all the church said, amen. We're going to sing one more time.
and a lot of theologians, Paul Tillich, Andy Stanley, different ones who will say that, uh, that the change between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the Old Testament was about the law and the New Testament is about grace and, and, and therefore the law of God is pretty much useless to the Christian and that it's been replaced by the law of Jesus. Some, some kind of, that's the only commandment that's, that's left that's any good anymore is, is to love your neighbor. And like I said before, the only way to truly know how to love people is by the perfect law of God. It teaches us how to love God well as, as followers. It teaches us how to love our, our, our fellow man well. Listen, if the Ten Commandments had been followed, there wouldn't be riots in the streets and people mad about injustice because man would have loved man well. But the, the, the Ten Commandments wasn't. It was broken. Therefore, there is not love between our fellow man. And so, as we studied the first of those commandments today, we came and we found out that God is, is really a jealous God, that He does not share His glory with anyone, anything, any group. As He reminded the Israelites that He, he delivered them out of bondage, He reminds us that He delivered us out of the bondage of sin. And we call ourselves upon the church today to to kill and to remove all those idols in our lives. Two tests, the love test, the trust test. Anything you love more than God, anything you trust more than God. Church, we have been the church gathered. I want to call you to go and be the church scattered. You go and you live this way, you love people well. And as you do, take with you the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We'll sing one last verse and be done. God bless you, my friends. It's great to see you all. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my Each and every day we bless our Lord with our heart and soul. Until next.
next time. God bless you.